Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the second part of my chat with the great Martha Plimpton. We've got to be quick. We've got to take our seats. The house lights are going down. Stage lights are going up. Performance is about to begin. Here she is. Here's the inimitable Martha Plimpton. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Act two of today's performance of Stage Door Johnny is about to begin. Can I ask you, I, I, I haven't done this before, but I'm going to try it out. And I feel like you're the perfect person to okay. debut this with. I'm going to ask you about like specific times in a theater run. Mm. And what it makes you think of and how you, what sort of thoughts come out. Yeah. So let's just start with first day of rehearsal. First day of rehearsal is yep. terrifying. Right, sure. Terrifying. I will admit that first day of rehearsal on As You Like It, I was absolutely terrified. Right. And felt like an idiot and <laughs> scared to death. And like, I had no fucking idea what Jake Weiss was talking about or why he was there or why he was in the play or what his function was on any level. <laughs> and is that still the same now at your age now as it's always been? Yeah. Or were you once yeah. bowling I mean, into... We, we started rehearsal, what, back in October? Right. Yeah. Fifty-two but, but, years but old. But when you were twenty-one years old and you were bounding into a rehearsal room, you still felt the same way then. Oh yeah. It's just that day prompts that feeling. First day of school. And first day of school. Right. Talk to me about the first stagger through of the play. <laughs> Excellent. You've just made Noise. me constipated for like the next three days. I'm not going to be able to take a shit. <clears throat> is there anything worse than that? Meaning, is, is the first night as bad as the first stagger through? On, on As You Like It, it was lovely and terrifying. On other shows, it's different. Do it's, you welcome it? Or are you always, is it always that noise in your head? It changes every time, sure, don't sure, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, when we were doing Coast of Utopia... There were a million different things to think about and places to be and lines to remember and, and, and places you had to be. And, and, and also we were also, we were doing all the sets and we were moving all the props and where does this go? Where does that? And, and it was terrifying. You're not, you can't think. That was you a trilogy think. of plays. Yes. Famously, Ethan Hawke talked about it a lot in the episode I did with him. Trilogy of plays by Tom Stoppard yeah. about Russian revolutionaries, yeah. which you guys did in a storied production at Lincoln Center. You were totally nominated for it. So sweetly nodding indulgently. Yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> far be it from me to mention. I would have won, um, too. You damn well would have won. Who won that year? 
No, I mean, that's a stupid, ridiculous thing to say. But uh, who did win? I think it was because Jennifer Ely and I were both in the same category. Oh, split the vote. Jennifer Ely. Were we in the same category? Yeah, we were. So it split the... Yeah. I think if Jennifer had been, rightly so, in the category of lead actress, which she should have been in... Um, then we would have swept. We would have swept them. So you totally would. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was an incredible cast. You, Brianna Byrne, Ethan Hawke, Josh Hamilton. Yeah. David Harbour. Ely, David Harbour, Stranger Things, David Harbour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a ton of extraordinary yeah. actors. And it was Scott like Parkinson, Bian- Bianca Amato, Annie right. Purcell. I mean, there were 44 right. people in the 44. cast. 44. So the first stagger through of that, and then you've got to do two more of those plays, which you didn't rehearse at well, the same we, time, right? Well, no, we did it uh, uh, like a repertory yeah. company would. We opened the first one, then, then we started rehearsing the second, second one, one during the played. day. It was a nine-month process, crazy. and so it was—it changed all of our lives. It made—I mean, it completely—it it just is one of the greatest experiences of my life, without question. Okay, this is a different question, but let's get to it now. Why did it change your life? Well, it changed my life because I went through a sort of dry spell in movies, particularly in my late twenties and thirties. There wasn't a whole lot of work for me. And because, as I mentioned to you, my mother's criteria, I was fine to just be broke, uh, which I would remain for quite a few years after Coast of Utopia. But working with Jack O'Brien, who was absolutely like the Pied Piper. Mm, The top of his game. Absolutely the top of his game and... He could not open his mouth without saying something quotable. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he just could. I mean, the man is just, he is a man of the theater in the truest sense. A great collaborator with Stoppard, right? Brilliant collaborator. And he and Stoppard had a wonderful relationship. And Stoppard was in the room every day. Yeah, oh my God. Every day in rehearsal. And smoking, by the way. Was he in this oh, rehearsal? yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You couldn't do that now, Tom. Right. Well, actually, I think you could. Oh, maybe you said Tom Because Stop he's Tom Stoppard. Sure, right. But it was a, like a, a marriage of intellectual, emotional, theatrical, and, and just simple working and simple, you know, work ethic. Yeah. And all four of those things, along with an unbelievable cast just came together an incredible creative team. I mean, those costumes were like, I'll never wear anything more beautiful again. Kathy Zuber designed the costumes. I'll never, as long as I live, get more gorgeous gowns to wear. And because we were together basically every single fucking day for nine months, I remember the first time we did them all three in one day. (laughs) Nine hours. Nine hours, but actually was 12 hours for us. Christ, of course. We would get to the theater at 9 a.m. Wow. Maybe longer, actually. 9, 10 a.m. We would start the first performance at 11 a.m. We would uh, finish it. We would all eat together in the rehearsal room. They would bring food, and we would all eat there together. Then we, you know, we'd scarf our food down, try and take a nap, do the second show, Repeat the routine, scarf some food, take a nap, do the third show. Good boy. I can't bear the thought of this story. Yeah. It's like a um, lot of work for And mom. then when we, we had a special bow, and I'm sure Ethan told you about this. No, he didn't. Well. The special bow. He's an asshole for not telling totally. you about the special bow. 
because the special bow for the whole day experience yeah. was choreographed to within an inch of its life and beautiful and absolutely gorgeous. And at the end of it, we all got down on one knee and put a hand on our heart and put our heads down to thank the audience for having that day with us. Oh, wow. And the first time we did that, I got to say, it was like... I mean, one, one, one guy in the cast said it was, it's up there with the birth of my children and my getting married and the birth of my children. It was the most extraordinary feeling. Oh, wow. And of course, Jack O'Brien was the creator of that because of course, how could we not, you know, I mean, you always want to acknowledge the audience and give them a clap, but this was like, it was formal and it was beautiful and it was also full of humility and you know it was just oh come on man i'll never get over that i'll never get over it amazing yeah i I also i will never get over richard easton dying on stage with us but that's a whole other thing i'm sure ethan told you that story didn't tell me about that and i can't believe i didn't ask him about that because he's written about it so much but yeah and he always leaves me out oh the fucker tell me were you, did, did you catch him? What happened? So listen, so Richard Easton, this revered Anglo-Canadian actor, right? Who was a kind of, is it fair to say, a sort of mentor to a lot of you? A Shakespearean actor of enormous skill and experience. He, he'd, uh, Ethan did describe to me that he'd acted as a, as a young man in, I don't know, with Alec Guinness and Olivier's company, I want to say. But anyway... While you are doing, I think, previews of the first part, he has cardiac arrhythmia, I think. He had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. So it's, and I love that Ethan always forgets I was there because literally the three of us were on stage together. (laughs) It's hilarious. It's it's just hilarious. Well, you didn't die for a minute, so that's important. But anyway... (laughs) Basically, Ethan and the dead guy. And I love Ethan. No one loves Ethan more than me. He's a brother to me. I adore him. I love him. You will never hear me say a bad word about him, but it's just hilarious that he always forgets I was there. (laughs) Anyway, we're doing a scene, the three of us, and granted, I don't talk a lot during the scene, but Richard Easton has the line, and that is my final word. And he turns to leave stage, and Ethan and I look at each other, because he's mad. He's, we're playing brother and sister, right. and dad is mad. So we look at each other, and we look at each other, and then we hear a thud. And we both turn, and there's Richard. And not only is he flat on the floor, on the stage, but his arms are, been, are underneath him. Oh, he had not thrown his arms oh, out. Yeah. They're underneath him. And he's right on the fire curtain line. Oh, so yeah. we both run over. And I say, I said, <laughs> I love, this is, uh, this is going to go, Ethan and I are going to, I'm just going to have a problem with him till the end of time. Because I said, and I couldn't believe I was saying it, is there a doctor in the house? While I was still holding Richard. Yeah. And then Ethan got up and he said, no, no, no. Is there a doctor in the house? Because the audience, they don't know what they're seeing. Sure. You're always so surprised that how difficult it is to shatter that membrane. 
they didn't know. It's a Tom Stoppard play. It could be any fucking thing. Anything. You know what I mean? You know, and Ethan was like, no, really, we really, we, is there a doctor here? Ethan and I turned Richard over onto his back and I mean, it all happened so fast and he was turning blue. His lips were already blue. And a stagehand came out from the wings and began doing CPR and began to press on us. But the audience was all watching this. And then as he was doing that, people, you could see a few doctors were like trickling down and there was no way to get onto the stage. Even though it's a thrust, Jack had designed for there to be a moat. So they had to climb like over the thing to get onto the stage. They had to invade. Yeah, they had to literally, they had to invade. Then as soon as he started doing CPR and doctors came, Ethan and I left the stage. Right. And we sat in the stairwell right there by the wings. And he just held me. We just held hands. Oh, Jesus. And then they took him. He was without a pulse for 10 minutes. And then they got up. Finally, the ambulance came. They pulled up to the loading dock of the theater where they bring in the sets. And they brought them in. And they pulled out a defibrillator. They defibrillated him in front of everyone. Wow. Yeah. And then he went to the hospital and he lived. I don't know what the how the hell he lived. Not only did he live, he came back to the show. Yes, and he came right? back to the show and he completed the run. Wow. What yeah, he was he was a tank. Richard Easton was a tank. Okay, let's get back to um different times. Yes, yes. Year, the tech rehearsal. Oh, I love tech. Do you love tech? Tech is my favorite. Why do you love tech? No, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, the te- technical rehearsal is the time just before you, basically when you've just got into the theatre, you've moved from the rehearsal room into the theatre, and the technical rehearsal can take one, two, three, however many days. Usually of, three to five. Like a, more than you want. Right. Of, of basically the first time except you're in me. costume, except yeah. for you, because you like it, and trying out all the lights, mm-hmm. the music, and it's incredibly tedious. You keep going backwards and forwards mm-hmm. to make sure that all the technical aspects of the production work with what you've... And it's a weird sort of caesura for the actors because you've just come out of this intense period in the rehearsal room, building up to final run-throughs, and then you don't really get to do the play while you do all this very technical stuff for three to five days. But I love tech. Okay, why? I love tech because, A, it's the time to decorate my dressing room. (laughs) Got it. <laughs> really important. That's going to be your home for the no, next No, it's hugely of important. And as as June Watson, the brilliant and legendary June Watson, sure. who was my dressing roommate during As You Like It, uh, she really appreciated it because I decorated it all with lovely lights and, you know, I made it really nice for us. Um, but I also love tech because I think I'm a technical actor. It's oftentimes where I actually find stuff. Jack O'Brien said to me that he he thought she's not going to find this thing until I got my wig and my dress on and then I got it. it was done. Wow. Because I think I work in layers. And it might be because I've grown up doing a hybrid of theater and film and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like and because I don't have formal training, I've sort of cobbled together yeah. sort of what it is, but I love tech. I absolutely love it and I love watching what's happening. I love watching the director and the creative team 
figuring shit out and mm. figuring out, oh no, that's not right. Or, or that's that idea that we had not going to work. Let's figure something else out. Yeah. I love that. I really, really love that. And it gives me time, weirdly, to do my work without being watched. Yeah. They're looking at everything else. Yeah. Right? But I'm not being I'm not being judged on what I'm trying or what I'm doing. Uh, except by me, obviously. Right. And suddenly it's real, it's a different space. Yeah, exactly. You're wearing the wig, exactly. you're wearing the dress, the yeah. light is on you in a and certain way. The body way. changes and yeah. you know, as soon as you get the outfit on, everything your body your whole body changes right. and and so yeah, I love it. I love it. Gives you that great posture. <laughs> so that you've always that you've always wanted. When we did our play together, I remember getting quite cross in tech. Do you remember yes, that? Do you I, remember that? I do remember. Oh God. I wish you was gay. No, I don't remember that at all. Well, I don't remember you oh, getting no. cross. Oh, you don't? No, I just remember me getting cross. Oh no, no, no. I don't remember that at all. I remember me. You know what what happened was because as you alluded to, the technical crew are doing their jobs right. so they're all communicating with each other right and we right. are at the same time doing our jobs as right. you've already talked about we're trying to get the lie of the land and we're going through the play you, right. you basically run the play right. until you have to stop and go back and etc etc but for that moment you know you are doing it on the stage yeah. for the first time and it suddenly feels very precious and i oh this is one of the i have to say a few times in my theater career that I sort of regret because I like, well tell me why because well, I'm going to disabuse you I think, you I think of it, okay I think. okay it's because I felt like there was a degree of noise going on in the auditorium mm-hmm. that you know I get that everyone's doing their jobs and we're all trying to do different jobs simultaneously yeah. I thought they could have been you know could have communicated with each other whilst acknowledging that we were saying lines to each other but it was a real hubbub right in the auditorium and I was like I sound like such an ass in my own head <laughs> thinking about it and, and repeating it to you. But I think I stopped and went, could you be quiet, please? We're trying to work here. And I regret it because, of course, everybody had shit to do. And, of course, who cares? But also, you Actors know, do you've this got to realize the time, probably. That, that by the time you get to tech... You're wanting to work on shit you didn't get to work exactly. on in the rehearsal. Exactly, that's the point. You feel like human beings are going to be watching this from tomorrow night because yeah. we're doing a dress rehearsal. And also, you're you're carrying over the frustrations that you had in the rehearsal room. That I mean, it's often the time when directors have meltdowns. Sure. You know, I mean, it's a very common time to have a melt. I've had yeah. meltdowns in tech many, many times. What do you remember of the tech that you remember the tech that we did differently? We, I remember. Did you get no, about no, something? I don't remember. It. I, I just remember generally feeling inconsequential, feeling like it was all about an image and a right. picture and right. an outfit and a thing. I remember feeling like it was a very surface production with really good actors. Yeah, we were good. That, we, were, we were fantastic. We were fantastic. <laughs> and so I remember that tech being not pleasurable. Yeah. Whereas most techs Sometimes are they really pleasurable. Be, yeah, yeah, really, right. really pleasurable for me. Yeah, the sense of anticipation of look at yeah. all this other stuff that will make yeah. us better, you know, or make the thing that they're watching yeah. all the more focused and interesting. And Whereas on that tech, rich. I just felt like, oh, I got to wear this stupid crown. And, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I and bless all the artistic right. and all the artistic team and everyone bless them. But I, I felt it was misguided. That thing about having a regret, like I do, about just speaking my brains, you know, yeah. barking at the auditorium. 
I've done that. Have you? Oh, yeah. And it was humiliating and I felt horrible. And oh. the next day... Uh, I brought like 150 beard papas. Do you remember beard papas? Like 150 custard pastries to the theater the next day because I the, felt so awful. What was the show? Well, uh, we were doing a Midsummer Night Stream in the park, right. directed by Daniel Sullivan, who right. had been my stepfather. So he had. Yeah. And first day of tech, we were getting a walkthrough of the space and the theater and he fell through the trap door. Oh, I remember And this. he fell about 14 feet. Shit, yes, he and put he broke in hospital. many, many bones and was unconscious at the bottom of this trap. God, yes. And it was extremely upsetting for everyone, not least of all me, because I actually hadn't seen him since his divorce from my mother, and now I was replacing an actress in the show. I mean, I got stories, baby. <laughs> You have. <laughs> I've got stories. Anyway, he was in hospital and Oscar Eustace, bless him, came to direct the rest of tech. But in the interim, we were in tech and we were doing a, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a stumble through or whatever, but they had the photographer, a press photographer. And I freaked out. I just freaked out. And I had a freak out in front of everybody. And I was like, well, I mean, you're taking pictures and it's not even finished. We haven't even gotten the costumes right. And I, and I, I had an, hyster an hysterical mental break. Mm. And then I like walked off and I was, you know, I felt utterly ashamed and horrible. Mm. That was so unprofessional and how, oh my God. So the next day I, I went and went to Beard Papa, which at that time was like a famous Korean, like, custard pastry right. place that everybody loved right. and i got like 150 of them right. and brought them to it was a tech the next day <laughs> it was 150 pastry outbursts yeah 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 got it yeah and i wrote a note on the box yeah. that just, just said i'm so so sorry yeah that yeah. happens it happens yeah, and you get emotional and you're crazy and yeah and and tech i think is the time that tests everybody yeah but i love that you love it and i love that you use it like it should be used because it is it can be a great way in yeah. too as opposed to something to be suffered okay let's go to half hour half hour before a show you get the half hour by the way this is um anyway doesn't know no this is different in the u.s than in the well they the call UK. it beginners and no, 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 no beginners is like come to the stage half hour is like oh, 30, right. 30 minutes right. what, what's the, the difference is i think i'm right in saying in the uk it's 35 minutes mm -hmm. half hour yeah in I the hate states that. it's actually a 30 minutes yeah it's half hour yeah what do you do at half hour? Do you have a sort of thing? Do well, I'm usually, I'm usually, well, it depends on the show. I'm usually fully dressed and, and you, every, oh yeah, by, by half hour. By half, by oh, half. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. Unless there's a schedule with the other members of this, um, of the backstage staff, like right. the wig staff or the costumers, if they have a schedule, then you go by their schedule. right, right. Um, you know, if, if they're like, well, I've got to be over here to put her wig on, so I'll come to you. Right. So, and it's, you know. But you like to get dressed early. Yeah. Is it part of that thing that you were talking about, Jack O'Brien, saying she's a dress and a wig <laughs> actress? <laughs> <laughs> you, do you like to feel it by being in it? I early? am a hair actor. I am a wig actor. I love I that about you. I am. And look, it, it changes all the time. And 
you know, but uh, yes, generally I'd like to be ready earlier. Right. And then do you have any particular ritual from there on in? Are you doing It depends anything? on the show again, right. but um, uh, uh, if it's a, if it involves singing or if there's a lot of throat clearing and nasal passage clearing nice. and lozenge sucking and <laughs> neurotic pacing, there's a lot of neurotic pacing. <laughs> Yeah, I like some neurotic yeah. pacing. Yeah, too. I love. I, I need to pace neurotically. I need yeah. to be always doing something. Does it change during the course of a run? Do you find yourself no. getting less adrenalized? No, if that's a word. No, it, it stays. It, yeah, I mean, obviously, it always depends on the show. Everything always depends on the show. But no, I'm basically the same. Always the same nervous energy. Always the same. And and if I don't do everything in the same order, oh, you're one of those. People. Yeah, me too. You start, but it sort of weirdly, weirdly kind of emerges. Well, right? I remember when we were doing Cymbeline, you would go off and take a run. Well, during the show, no. What would happen is that well, this is this doesn't reflect well on me, but what would happen is that Iacomo and Cymbeline leaves for like three yeah. acts or yeah. something. Yeah. He's a real presence yeah. at the beginning, and you think, oh, this is going to be one of the great Shakespearean roles that he just disappears. Yeah, and he comes back at the end and says, "I've been magically converted. Right, I now right. realize I was bad." Mm-hmm. It's like Shakespeare just was like, uh, "I don't care yeah. about him anymore." So what I would do, and you see this again, the reason this reflect, reflects badly on me, no. is that the opening scene for Yakimo was set in a steam bath. Yes! So I had a small <laughs> towel and an awful lot of <laughs> flesh. And indeed, early on in previews, we were all naked. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think on the web there were sort of, you know... Uh, oh, you know, oh yeah, tabs like you know oh, where you right. can see but Jonathan, no photos. Where you can see Jonathan Cake's junk most clearly. Seats you can see Jonathan Cake's junk most clearly from. And it, we no. got to the end of previews, and Mark Lamos, the director, said, "Okay, uh, um, for everybody in the Act One, Scene Two, we're going to wear towels now." Yeah. And I was like, dude, you can't clothe me. You know, you know how humiliating it is to make me have taken my clothes off for, for like sort of 12 shows and now clothe me? Well, also, you asked for it, buddy. Not you, Mark. <laughs> I see, yes. I anyway, mean, come on. Listen. Talk about listen, asking for trouble. Listen, driven by d- deep body dysmorphia <laughs> from being a chubby kid <laughs> and, and, and insecurity, I would go down to the bowels of Lincoln Center yeah. Theatre. And I would do like a prison workout every night. I've never uh, been fitter because I was at the, you know, there was I remember the, you were like, your body looked like it was like an insect exoskeleton. I know. It was so It was, so a, it was, a, bit, it was so a bit absurd. Cut. I know. It was ridiculous because actually Iacomo was meant to be this bon vivant. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I was like, <laughs> Iacomo as played by some, you know, 100 meter sprinter. Anyway, yeah, that was... That was something I. Again, but you know what? He asked for it. He asked for it. He asked for it. For it was sure. it was his choice to have you guys nude. He wasn't the only one. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. so that's half hour. Okay. So now we talked about this, I guess, briefly, but I'm kind of curious about it. Closing night. Mm, I hate them. I hate oh, opening. I hate opening nights, or as you or as they're called here in the UK, press nights. Well, they're different here. They, they are, are very in the different. US. For anybody who doesn't know, in the UK, the UK has this bizarre tradition, which is that all the press come on the same night. The same night. In the US. 
the press drift in over the course of three or four different shows. We all, in the U.S., there's also a much longer preview period. Right. Than there is here. Yeah. For, due to the imperat- imperatives of, I guess, commercial theatre, right. there's a lot of money writing on it, so they need to have a bedding in. And time. there's a shorter rehearsal period. Shorter rehearsal period, all that stuff. But it's very interesting that Simon Callow, you know, the British actor, yeah. said that very accurately. He said, actually, British theatre is not the history of British theatre. It's the history of one night right. in any given production's right. run. It's the history right. of opening nights because, yeah. the, the you know, everybody comes to that show and if that show stinks, which often <laughs> it can feel weird. I went to an opening night only a couple of weeks ago and the febrile feeling in the auditorium from friends and family right. who were there all trying too hard, it was a comedy, yeah. to laugh as hard as they possibly could. And then all those... Fuckers with their with their pads right. and their lighted pens going, come on, impress me. I'm going to write about this. The weird tension in the audience between those two mm. completely different states makes for an entirely unnatural night. Yeah. And that is British theatre. That's how it's memorialized is on that one night. I much prefer the American system where you never know when they're coming in. Now, funny you should say that because I have the opposite opinion. Here we go. I hate the opening night. Okay. But I don't mind press night. Which in which in the US opening night is more of a celebration yeah. now that well, there is it's, over- it's more of a an event. Got it. Yes. It's more of a like people going on a red carpet and getting their picture taken in front of a step right. and repeat. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Opening night, it's like everyone and their fucking mother is there. And all the famous people in New York are there. And I'm just, it terrifies me. Yes, yes. Whereas press night here, you don't feel like it's got quite the same emphasis. Yeah, I know what what you mean. I still don't like it. Sure. It's still tense. Sure. The same way closing night is. Because it feels like it's got to be somehow different, better. Do you like what I like about Closing Nights, Mm -hmm. which is that it feels like the first time you've ever said these words Mm. because they'll never be said again? Yeah, it's a funny, funny thing. It's a bittersweet thing, but yes, that's... And and I think you've actually put it perfectly, and I'm going to start thinking of it that way. Because I think, yes, what you've just said is what I would say... But I would phrase it differently since I didn't have those words. Got it. Got it. It's tricky, though. It's a double-edged sword because while I love that feeling, they're sort of melting away behind you. Yeah. As you say them, like like life, right? Yeah. It, yeah. You know, the, 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 the terrible temptation, particularly if it's a play that you've loved, a part that you've loved, is to really hold on to them. Right. Well, to that's, really save them. Yeah. To nev- not let them, to let them go reluctantly, jealously. Well, to bring it back to Richard Easton, he said on closing night of Coast of Utopia, which was a majorly emotional closing Christ, night. Christ, I can believe it. We had a, 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 a ritual. He of- died during the course of that show. He and actually ag- died. And yeah, rose yeah. again. We had a ritual during the run of gathering at five minutes and just sort of gathering in a circle and whatever, doing some sort of dumb incantation. It changed every time. But on closing night, we gathered in the circle and he uh, recited the St. Crispin speech. And of course, ending with we few, we happy few. And when he was done, he said, keep it dry, people, keep it dry. And I've remembered that ever since and tried to remember that and internalize it. And sometimes 
I've done it I've, so successfully that it's been gone and I didn't know where right. it was going. Right. And then it's gone and then I, maybe I didn't give it the value it was worth. Maybe I didn't give it the time it was worth. Maybe I rushed through it too much. That's because Maybe, I, you know, all of that. That's because you're cool. No, well. It is. That's because you're cool. I do think there's something about not sentimentalizing it, which is yeah. exactly right. And then, you know, in that last moment, God bless any actor who can keep it dry. Because it's the last moment, that last line or that last word or whatever it is. I know. I was going to say, you know, Marth, you're, you're so many things, it, it, amazingly and brilliantly, impressively. But one of the big things that you are is you're a really outspoken advocate for women's rights, but particularly reproductive rights, mm-hmm. right? You campaign sort of tirelessly for Planned Parenthood and a woman's right to choose. And... You know, when something like the repeal of Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. happens, has happened this year, was it, was it this year or last year? It last was year, last, year, last year, but it's not even a year. I know, I know, I know. My question is this. It's such an enormous part of your life off stage. Does theatre feel too small in the face of enormous events in the world like that does it feel too bourgeois to cope with those things does it no, feel no the business of theater might feel too small okay the business of the way theater happens or is delivered right right might feel too small but the theater is human life yeah, yeah. the theater is humanity it's yeah. it's it's as big as we are it's as small as we are right, right? it's right. it's there's no other art form, in my view, that can speak to people in real time about who we are. Yeah. There's no other thing. Even movies. Even movies are like, you look at a movie and you go, oh, I wish I was. But you go to the theater and you go, oh, that's me. It's a big difference. I mean, in its best execution. Right. I mean, sure. you know what I mean? Sure. So the theater is where it's at. I mean. You know, I, I helped to found an organization, a not-for-profit organization called AS4 10 years ago. And we use art and artists to work to dismantle abortion stigma and to change the narrative around or the, the emotional conversation, the emotional language around abortion. We use art and we elevate artists. So we've got a playwriting contest that's all about one acts that bring uh, reproductive justice issues into uh, into the forefront that that make them that that center them. We're coming on our third year or fourth year. I can't, I don't know, but yeah, and we've we give the three winning playwrights cash prize and we do a performance and because we're all about changing the way people talk about and think about abortion and yes of course the theater has a role to play i think the theater look i don't want to be pompous or stupid about it but Everything changes when there's a play about it. Yes, that's really true. Look at the riots that people, uh, you know. It opens a window, doesn't it? It does. It does. That's really fascinating idea. Well, the great play about that subject has yet to be written, don't you think? Well, 
people have sort of skirted around it a little bit, you know. I think Agnes of God skirts it around, skirts around it a little bit, uh-huh. and and other plays sort of, you know, where, where abortion is kind of like a side sort of, but it's always like a dark thing. It's like a dark thing that happened to somebody. Again, plays written by men, but I think. like we do at AS4, we're looking for those plays that are uh, structurally and meaning technically written in a new way, in a new form. Um, And also it doesn't have to be about abortion to be about justice, to be about reproductive justice and and autonomy. I mean, I think the story of autonomy is a fucking never-endingly yeah. endless font yeah. of, of storytelling options. And th- this is just one that's been ignored. Right. What do you still want from the theater? I don't want to sound self-centered, but I wish that when I was younger, I'd had more opportunity to play roles that weren't assigned for my gender. Uh-huh. Jayquees has opened a door, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, but also before Jayquees. Yeah, sure. But is there any reason why you shouldn't be able to do that now? Are there parts well, that you want to play? Age and and gender and and I think that would have been fun to be able to think about right. certain roles as being mine. Which roles? Oh gosh, I don't know. Well, don't tell anybody, but I really would have loved to have played Hamlet, but. Everybody wants to play Hamlet. You know, maybe Biff. Oh, he'd be great. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe Biff. I think I would have liked people to have been more open as they are now to gender alterations. Well, there's some pretty good parts for your age and up, you know. He's, particularly Shakespeare, was was very kind, very elastic with the. Well, fuck it. Ian McKellen can play Hamlet. Totally right. Why can't you? No, I'd we had love a love to see during, your Hamlet. Uh, right before the pandemic, we had a really great weekend at my house reading Hamlet with a bunch of really? actors, and it was and just reading it and having fun with it, and knowing it might not ever go anywhere, but just to have something to do and think about and yeah, feel. Yeah, so great! It was really great. Just to have just something to do yeah. and think about and yeah. feel. That's yeah. a perfect description. And also, I'd be really fucking good. <laughs> Of course you Cut would. that. You have to cut that. I'm definitely not going to cut that. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. This has been this the greatest great. thing. There goes a great lady of the theatre. Oh, wasn't that great? From, from being that little baby held in her mother's arms on stage, squirming away, feeling uncomfortable, while the company of hair sang Let the Sunshine In, to still aspiring to play Hamlet and finding, trying to find the great play about a woman's right to choose. That is a life, ladies and gentlemen. That is a life in the theatre. What an inspiring one. Oh, I'm so grateful to Martha for taking the time to talk to me, being so honest, so candid, so great. So much fun. Stage Door Johnny is an off-script production. Thanks, Louise Berry, for your exec 
production and your help, and to Ben Backhouse, my producer, who's unfailingly great, to Acast for your podcast support, to Iggy Cake for writing and performing the theme tune, to Phoebe Cake for singing it, uh, to the stage manager back in her rightful place for her dulcet tones and for her general sweet encouragement and support. And to you all for listening. It's just been a wonderful ride doing these podcasts, doing these chats with these extraordinary people. It really has been so incredibly meaningful to me. And next week's guest will be the last in this current season. Holds for shouts of protest, exclamations of no, what? You can't do this to us. I'm, I'm holding for that. Okay. Well, uh, I've got to go off to New York to do a play myself. And I think it might be a bit tricky to keep recording. So I'm just going to take a little pause while I get some more, i got to say, amazing guests coming up. But if you could imagine a more fitting guest for my last episode of this season than the person who is in many ways the founder of this feast, the sort of mainspring of the idea, the person whose silhouette loomed up at the back of the stage uh, when I sat down to watch the Lehman Trilogy with my son in Los Angeles. I can't even remember when it was now. And was hit by such an electric shock of excitement and anticipation that made me feel like a child again, going back to the theatre for the first time. I can't think of anyone more appropriate to finish this with than the great Sir Simon Russell Beale. I had the most wonderful chat with Simon, and um, and I think you'll I think you'll agree it was it seems like a very fitting way to end this little this little season. Stay, stay, 